I want to shift gears a little bit for the next two weeks leading up to Christmas. I want to talk about the Christmas gifts. Not what God gave us, but what the wise men gave to him. The gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. It comes out of Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to get a little bit into that a little bit and talk about some of the practical things that they represent as well as some of the prophetic things that they represented to Jesus at that time. So Matthew chapter 2, going to look at verse 11. It says, they entered the house and saw the child. This is talking about the wise men. What we know about the wise men, how many were there? We don't have a clue. We have no idea how many wise men there were. Tradition tells us three because of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we have no idea how many wise men there were. So just to throw that out there, just to mess you up a little bit, and I think a lot of us knew that, but that we have no idea. And that's okay. We really don't need to know. They entered the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh, pampers. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to... Little snot sucker. You ever use one of those little snot suckers? Those are great. Get right in there. Squirt it at the person sitting next to you. No, that wasn't in Scripture. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men, they came... And, and we know a little bit about this. Uh, we know that realistically, Jesus was probably about somewhere around 18 months to two years old by the time they got there. It wasn't like the birth of Jesus happened and the wise men showed up that same day. It was actually quite a, quite a bit later. So could you imagine the wise men showing up and offering these gifts to a toddler? Those of us that have had kids, have been around kids, have seen kids, have walked through restaurants that have had toddlers in there. Toddlers are unpredictable. I'm going to leave the rest of the words I was going to use, the adjectives I was going to use alone. But they're full of energy. They're full of expiration. They, they almost, in a lot of ways, have no fear. Um, one of my children, I won't say which one, had a tendency to fall out of windows and stairs and things like that. At that age, we have, uh, we have windows in our house that are about knee high where the, the, the bottom of them are, and we look outside and we have a little deck and all we see is feet dangling because it pushed through the screen. It was great. They showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's not the most practical gifts, are they? Practical gifts would have been Diapers, of course, they didn't have diapers like we know it today. Practical gifts would have been toys and things like that, but these were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There is a practical side to them, and there's a prophetic side. These were gifts that were given to very important people. These were gifts that were given to kings. Very expensive. All of them were expensive. All of them had purpose in that, so they gave them. And so we're going to unwrap these gifts over the next couple weeks. And talk about them. Today we're going to talk about gold and we're going to talk about frankincense. And then we'll wrap up with myrrh and a little bit of practical application next week. But the first one today is gold. Gold represents his kingship. 
his kingship. Gold was a gift for royalty for kings. Now, we did get some money when we had kids. Some people gave us gift cards. They gave us money. What parent can't use a little extra money? We don't know how much gold this was, and gold was very valuable. It was currency. Um, and, and we know in biblical times, actually, currency could have been sheep, could have been chickens, could have been livestock. They traded in commodities, but gold was that standard. So it is an amazing gift. We don't know what Mary and Joseph did with that gold. We don't know if they used it for the, the carpentry business. We don't know if they used it for their family or if they tucked it away for Jesus later. We don't know. But it was a gift of gold. Very practical gift. How many, how many of you like a gift of gold for Christmas this year? Talk to Heather. No, we, we will. Uh, it's a very practical gift. What parent wouldn't want that? But there's a deeper meaning to this. It was a gift given to a king. And Jesus would be our king. Actually, Scripture calls him the king of kings. The Most High. It was prophetic in who he was. Remember the wise men saw the star off in the east and they, and they came and they traveled and they talked to Herod and, and Herod wanted to kill, you know, the new king because he was the king. And if you remember, he had all the children under the age of two killed. Kind of a nice way to, to do that. It's very encouraging. He wanted to eliminate the potential king. He even told the wise men, hey, why don't you guys go find him and then come back to me and tell me where he's at so I can go worship him too. Basically, what he's saying is, why don't you go find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and eliminate him too. To eliminate the competition. The king. Luke 1, 32 and 33 says this, He will be very great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. See, all these prophecies in the Old Testament that prophesied the Messiah said it would be through the line of David, Israel's greatest king. David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't Israel's first king but he was the most celebrated king. Some of you guys remember back at Father's Day, I gave out the book, David the Great. It's a great read. It wasn't just for fathers. We gave it to whoever wanted to read a copy of it. And it's an amazing book talking about the life of David. You can see all of the things that David went through. And it said that he was a man after God's own heart, but yet he was full of sin. He was full of all those things. Through David's line, there was a prophecy that one king would come and establish forever the Messiah, the King of Kings. Second Samuel, verse 7, wrote about this. He said, For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He's talking to David. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever speaking of jesus jesus is going to sit on the throne forever in revelation 19:16. i know i'm giving you a lot of scripture here it says on his robe on his robe at his thigh was written this is talking about jesus 
was written the title, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This gift represented the supreme authority of Jesus. That once and for all was born to us a Savior, a King, that would be a King for all time. We have, a tr- we have trouble with the idea of a King because... We don't live in a world or, or in a society, not in a world, or in a society that have kings. Most of our knowledge of kings come through what we've read throughout history and what we've read through fantasy novels and all those other things, and we see the kingships in that way. There are still kings in the world today, but it's a much different society than what we knew of then. But Jesus is above all authority. Jesus is above all rulers. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Philippians 2.9-11 puts it this way, Therefore God elevated Him to the place of highest honor and gave Him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. So the gift that was given represented His kingship, that He was going to be Lord of all. Do we get that? Do we grasp that? What does that mean for our lives today? We live in a democracy. We vote for our leaders. They're not kings, although sometimes they think they are. They act like they are. But we vote all these people in power and we have that opportunity to do that in our nation. We have the opportunity to choose our leaders. We'll do it again next year. For good or for bad, we have the opportunity to choose our leaders. But a king rules. It's given ultimate authority and Jesus is the king of kings. The gold represents his authority. We are subject to the authorities of this earth only to the point that they defy our heavenly king. Think about that for a second. The only place in Scripture that it tells us to go against the authority of, this, of the leaders of this earth is if they defy God. Because Jesus is the ultimate authority. So the gold was given, it was the first gift, and it was a practical gift, it was money, it, it could have, who knows, it may have funded Jesus' ministry. It may have been for their family. We don't know. It doesn't say. But we know that it was a gift given to a king. The second gift, frankincense. Fun word to spell and say, frankincense. Frankincense represents Jesus' priestly role. So gold represents him as Lord and King. This represents his priestly role. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever actually really paid any attention to frankincense and expensive oil. Um, Essential oils have become really big again, and uh, they kind of go up and down over the years, and, and, and people will use frankincense uh, for a lot of different things. I heard somebody say that frankincense is the Swiss army knife of oils because it has a lot of practical purposes. I don't know if you knew this. It's used as an antiseptic. 
It can be used to soothe an upset stomach. It can be used for a lot of different things. Um, Had other medicinal purposes. I read one article on frankincense that said it could heal arthritis, that it helps to heal arthritis. I don't know. Never tried. There are some people that will sell you an essential oil for everything. I don't quite run down that road, but I do know that there are some value in some of the oils. Frankincense is one of those. There is medicinal purposes for frankincense. There's a practical side to it. Again, we're talking about an 18-month to a two-year-old, or maybe somewhere between one and three. Jesus was that age. I would probably hazard a guess that he had a few scrapes and bruises. I would probably say he probably skinned a knee or two. Stubbed the toe. I don't know. Frankincense could have been used to help heal those things. Very practical gift. I don't know what they used it for. Just like I don't know what they used for the gold. They don't give us that much detail. I just wanted to give you a little bit of this. This is one of the gifts that was given. But it was also a gift... It was also something that was used in worship. It was mixed in with incense that was burned on the altar. It was used for anointing. It had priestly purposes for its use. It was used in the temple. Actually, a lot of times when there was when kings would come into the land, they would bring gifts of gold and frankincense to give to the temple as parts of worship, as parts of an offering. The gold, obviously, as a sacrifice. The oil as part of worship because it would be burned and it would be used for anointing. So Jesus, this represents His priestly role, His role as high priest. And we talked about that. We're going to spend some time in Hebrews. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a heads up there because that's where it talks about Jesus as our high priest. Again, we don't have a big reference for kings. We understand the idea of a king, but we haven't lived under a king. And unless you are Catholic or Jewish um, in your origin growing up, you probably didn't sit under a priest. Well, actually, Jews, rabbi or priest. It's not something that we understand that well. So the first role, there's a couple different roles that a priest is going to play. The first role is that he offers sacrifices for sins. He offers sacrifices for sins. So in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priest would offer the sacrifice for the sin. He would be the one that would bring that before God. We can't really understand sin. Sin's been kind of downplayed in our society, don't you think? Do we talk about sin that much anymore? And I can remember being a kid and, and we heard a lot about sin and maybe it was the church that I went to, I don't know, but it seemed like we were, you know, we, we always heard about the sins and the things that we did wrong, but now we've kind of mellowed that out in our society um, and downplayed it and watered down sin where, you know what, if it feels good to you and it, and it sounds good, your truth is your own truth, don't worry about it, it's not really a sin because what's true for you is right for you. Have you ever heard that? It's that your way, right away mentality, the Burger King mentality. We've 
We've watered sin down. We try to legalize it and we try to do all these different things for sin, but sin is something that separates us from God. And, and as I was reading through some different things, looking at this, for us to understand sin, we have to understand the holiness of God. And I love what Craig Groeschel wrote about that. He said, the word holy comes from the Greek word egios, which means separate. It means other. What is God? God is transcendently separate. Our God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault, no wrong, no stain in Him. Our God is transcendently other. He's separate. He's perfect. And so we need to understand that holiness isn't just one of the attributes of God. Holiness is the perfection of all His attributes. His power is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His glory is holy. It is His holiness, His otherness, His separateness, His purity that makes Him worthy of our praise. Our God is holy, and our challenge is we're not. Now, I know I unpacked a lot there. I thought that what He said was really good. God is this perfection, and all that is a part of Him, and all that He is, is perfect and holy. There is no sin in Him. There is no wrong in Him. He is set apart from us. We are separated because we are not perfect and holy. Sin separates us from God. Creates a chasm. None of us are without sin. None of us are right before God. In and of ourselves. Now you can read through Romans. I'm not going to read through Romans today. And it talks a lot about this. But I want to talk about the priestly side of things today. So we'll get there. So in the Old Testament, the high priest on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. I would have made a good Jew. Can't say the words. He would offer a sacrifice or a temporary payment for sins. That's what they would do. Remember what we talked about? We went through Hebrews last year. We talked about the temple veil and how that veil was there. And behind the veil was the Holy of Holies. And the high priest once a year would go in there on the Day of Atonement. And he would offer a sin sacrifice for the nation of Israel. For all the people. And when he went in there, he'd tie the rope around his waist and the bells would be there in case he didn't you know, do everything right because even the priest wasn't holy. He had to do all these rituals and things to get in there and he would go in there and hopefully he did it all right because if he went into the presence of God not being right, he would be struck down. It was kind of a crazy time. But once a year, they would offer that sacrifice for sin. It was temporary. It had to, be ha- had to happen every year. There were a lot of other sacrifices that somebody would make. They also had something known as a scapegoat. Have you ever heard of a scapegoat? We used to talk about scapegoat in terms of, well, you know, we would, somebody would do something wrong. They talked about it in politics a lot, and they'd say, well, that person would be a scapegoat so that he would be the one that would get in trouble and everybody else would get off scot-free. But in the terms of sin, what the priest would do that once a year, they would take this goat, 
and they would figuratively lay all the sins of Israel on that goat. And then they would run it out into the wilderness or off a cliff to symbolize the taking away of the sins. It was a crazy time to live, wasn't it? Again, we don't have any concept for that because we don't live in that sacrificial society because we had Jesus. But these sacrifices that were made for sin, it was a payment for sin. It was a, there was always a blood sacrifice that had to be offered. So the priest would light the incense. It would have frankincense, and that was to represent the cries of the people for the mercy of God. So when the incense burned, it was to represent those cries. A lot of symbolism. So they'd offer it up to God and cry out to God for mercy. They'd send the scapegoat out into the wilderness. The priest would offer the sacrifice. These were all temporary payments for the actions of sin. They happened once a year. The great thing about Jesus and the way that frankincense represents him as our priest is he paid the price for our sin. He offered that sin sacrifice once and for all on the cross. He fulfilled his priestly duty in offering himself as that sacrifice. Think about that for a minute. He offered himself as that once and for all sacrifice. Remember, he's king of kings and lord of lords. What he does is final. He didn't do it halfway. He doesn't have to hang on the cross every day. He did it once and for all. Hebrews 10.10 says this, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. We've been made holy through the blood of Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. We just talked about God being holy, being separate, being other. He couldn't be in the presence of sin, but because of what Jesus did for us, when we love Him and accept Him and allow Him into our lives, we become what? We become holy through Him, through His blood. We're no longer separate. That's why in Hebrews it talks about that temple veil being ripped apart and the, we now could enter into the Holy of Holies with Him. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus. He's our great high priest. He's the one that offered the once and for all sacrifice. He took all of our sin upon Himself and gave us His righteousness. It would be like us having a brand new outfit on, maybe a nice new suit or something like that, and walking down the street and seeing a homeless man laying there, a homeless person laying there, walking up to them and exchanging clothes with them. I would take on their dirty rags and give them my brand new suit. It's kind of, in essence, the imagery that we get with that, where Jesus took our sin, our dirt, our pain, everything about us and took it upon Himself on the cross and gave us His righteousness and His holiness. That's 
pretty big. That should be exciting. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He is our great high priest. He's not just a distant God. He took the sin upon Himself and gave us His righteousness. That's the first thing as a high priest. The second thing is, as our high priest, He understands and cares about us. Understands and cares about us. See, we have a king that lived and walked among his people. Didn't just sit on a throne passing judgment and dictates and rules and regulations and taxes and all those things that we know of of kings. But he was a king that walked among us, that became a part of us. He's not distant. The Scriptures tell us that he understands what we go through. That's why he became man. Fully man, fully God. Hard concept for us to grasp, but he became man so that he could understand what we go through and so that he could be that one sacrifice for sin. Couldn't do it if he hadn't come fully man. Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15, kind of the crux of this says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, that's Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now look at this. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. Think about the life of Jesus for just a minute. We, we, we can speculate a lot. We don't know a lot about his childhood. We know that he was born, and we don't really hear anything again about him for another 18 months until the wise men came and gave him the gifts. Doesn't really say anything about him, just says he got the gifts. Then we don't see anything until he's 12 when he's in the temple. Then we really don't hear about him again until the wedding, until he starts doing ministry. But what do we know of him? We know that they lived in a, in a small society. You know, most people in biblical times didn't travel more than 30 miles from their place of birth, ever. Some of us travel 30 miles just to go to a, a show, or just to get to work. We live in a pretty amazing time. But most people didn't travel more than 30 miles. Man, if they, made a, if they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, that was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing for a lot of people because that would take weeks sometimes. We really don't know a lot of how he was growing up, but what we do know is that he was conceived of a virgin. So he's conceived basically out of wedlock in some ways that would have been a social stigma. We don't know. He may have been ridiculed for that. Small town. Not everybody knew what Joseph had been told. Man, think about how rumors and things fly around our society. I'd have to imagine people haven't changed that much. I'm sure Jesus lived under some ridicule.
We know he lost people that were close to him. He wept over Lazarus. We know that he was brokenhearted. We know that Satan tried to destroy him multiple times. Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way. The core of sin hasn't changed throughout the centuries. Now, the ways we get there have. We have technologies and things that allow us to sin in different ways, but at the core, sin is still sin. I'm sure he suffered loneliness, pain, heartache. All of those human emotions that we have. Yet he didn't sin. And he was betrayed. His closest friend denied him three times. Peter. Peter, James, and John were his closest, closest friends. And man, Peter denied him three times after Jesus was arrested. He's like, oh, I'll go with you even to death, Lord. Except for when you got arrested and now I don't even know you. Imagine the hurt and the pain that he felt. He was fully human. Now, he knew the bigger picture, but he was fully human. I can't imagine what Jesus felt or went through. We can read Scripture and we can see one side of the redemptive side of Christ, but sometimes we forget the human emotion that he must have felt. The frustration at times. The hurt, the anger, the fear. Garden of Gethsemane, we talked about that a lot this year. Man, he cried out to God, take this from me. I don't want to go through this. Take this from me. We serve a God that isn't distant. We serve a God that's our great high priest that took our sin upon him and gave us his righteousness so that we could stand in the presence of God, so that we could have the presence of God in our lives, so that we could be co-heirs with Him, is what it says in Ephesians, that we are adopted into the family of God through what Jesus did as our high priest. See, a priest is almost like an attorney for us before the Father. He intercedes for us. He interacts for us. Between He represents us to God and says, look, you know what? I don't see anything but my righteousness on them because they're my child. They're mine. That's what's amazing. Do we grasp that? Do we hold on to that? We should celebrate that. That's the excitement about who God is. Because we bow before Him, because we lay our lives before Him and accept Him as our Savior, as our King, as our Lord, we have His holiness and righteousness. It's not because we've done some great things. I got made fun of this morning because I said helping little old ladies across the road, apparently. We don't do that anymore. Apparently we just kick them across the road. I don't know. But it, we, we can't be good enough. 
we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. So what this means to us, if you look at Hebrews 4, if we go down one more verse to verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. When we come boldly into somebody's presence, it's because we have relationship with them. I hope that my children can come boldly into my presence, not living in fear that I'm going to hurt them or strike them down. Or I might make fun of them. Sometimes I do. But... Uh, My children don't have to live in fear of me. I know some people, that's not the reality in their, with their earthly father or mother. But we serve a God that we can come boldly into his presence. And scripture tells us we can ask him for whatever we need. And it says that he's going to give us good gifts because he loves us and cares for us. He's not going to give us everything we ask for because He loves us and cares for us. But He's going to give us good gifts. So through what Jesus has done, we can boldly enter into His presence. Today, as we wrap up the service and we, as we wrap up these two gifts... I want you to remember that Jesus is the King of Kings. The gift of gold represents His kingship. He is Lord over our lives. He's Lord over everything. He is our King. Is He the King of your life? That's the one thing about God that's, that's really interesting because as King, He doesn't demand that we follow Him. He gives us the opportunity to serve Him as King to make Him king over our lives. It's our choice. Is He Lord over your life? If He's Lord over your life, the second gift comes into effect. He's our great high priest. He's taken His sin upon, taken our sin upon Himself and made us righteous and holy so that we could come boldly into His presence. So today, as we wrap up service, I want us to do something. I want us to take action. We should always take action. I want us to go boldly into the presence of God today. Can we do that? Can we go boldly into the presence of God? The King of Kings? The King of all creation invites us into His presence. You know, I listen to and, and, and I listen to different podcasts every week and I listen to a lot of National Community Church. So I quote Mark Batterson a lot and, and Dick Foth because Dick Foth speaks there a lot. 
Um, the reason I'm going to say this is because it kind of applies. Dick Foth, for years, he was, a, he was a university president for a long time. He pastored for a little bit. And then he got called. God called him to Washington, D.C., kind of as a missionary to politicians. He became a chaplain within the government. And when he first went, he was really intimidated. He's like, man, I'm going to be sitting with people of power. He's sat with presidents. He's sat with senators. He's sat with world leaders around dinner tables and things like that. He's been invited to the places where senators go for lunch and they're all in pretty much the same area. And so he's sitting around people of great power and great importance in our culture and in the world at times. He's really intimidated about it. And, and somebody that was mentoring him spoke to him and said, Dick, if you spend time in the presence of the King of Kings, the creator of the universe every day, what does it matter if you sit in the presence of a president or a world ruler? You've spent time with the King of Kings. And he said, that changed my perspective. They're just people that need Jesus. Yeah, they do have big titles and big responsibility. I, I wouldn't want to be on city council, let alone president of the United States. spend time with the King of Kings. There's no personality on this earth that is greater. So let's boldly go into the presence of God today. And as you pray, you've got two choices. you got more than that, but two things that I'm going to kind of guide you through. One, if he's not Lord of your life, if he's not King of Kings in your life, make him that today. Just ask him. And two, what is it that you need in your life right now? I think we all come in a place of need every day. I don't know about you, I'm not perfect. I need God's grace most days. I say things I shouldn't, I do things I shouldn't. I'm not as loving as I should be. boldly into the presence of God today. And let's ask our King and Heavenly Father to meet those needs, to bless us, to lead us, to guide us. So as Pastor Jennifer plays today, go boldly before him. I'm going to give you just a few minutes to pray. Whatever it is, all of our needs are different. Some of us have financial needs. Some of us have physical needs. Some of us just have a need to be closer to Him. Some of us have a need for understanding. Grace at work, whatever that may be. But let's go before Him right now.